Well, good morning. Been a nice weekend, huh? All right. A couple of things before we get started. Uh, just in, just we've kind of blown up the calendar. Um, I've got us as having about five weeks left of classes. Uh, next week will be uh, the King Follett discourse and the martyrdom. Uh, I'm going to send out uh, hopefully early in the week if you haven't can't find the King Follett discourse. It was probably the uh, pinnacle of Joseph's teaching, so I figured I would combine that with the martyrdom uh, next Monday. Should be uh, should be a good experience. Uh, it's part of what got him killed. So that said, uh, reflections on conference. We always used to we, we like to take in every semester we get like the week the Monday after conference. So we always like to take a few minutes and uh, and talk a little bit about conference. Okay, what'd you hear? What jumped out at you? Yeah. Don't play with matches. <laughs> There you go. I like that. Yeah, I always love that because I, I, I did a similar kind of thing, only it took the fire department to come in and put out the uh, weed. Oh, I can talk that. I'm, like, I'm trying to make, me and my little brother trying to make firecrackers with flatcrackers. Oh, really? It's getting pointed fingers still. That's Okay, what else did you hear at conference? What else jumped out at you? You got devil's surprises. Yes, we do. Uh, the, the idea of too much electronic, uh, although uh, we were talking about it, Joseph had like one of the first ones. The German thumb, that's right, it was his first smartphone. He'd call home on it, he could translate with it, he read the scriptures, it was all on there. Yeah, that's true. His one like the moon glasses and a hat. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Don't try and stuff a turkey through the bean. Yeah. I liked um, how the church is all over the world and doing so much good. I liked knowing where my tithing is going and how it's helping people in the world and fast offerings. Yeah, yeah. You just get this idea of the hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent in humanitarian aid. Okay. What else? Yeah. I love so many of them. Seemed to be pretty direct, didn't it? It was. This is is what's going on. Yep. (laughs) Okay. What else? Yep. Did I hear 20,000 applications? We got 65... Yes, they already have a call. So we're at 65,000 now, 20,000 with call, and 6,000. Yes. Holy cow. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So, yeah, it's exploding. It's exploding. Okay. What else? Okay. Uh, along those lines. And that. And then I thought this is the photo of the weekend, right? You probably didn't see this, but this tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) 
is that awesome or what? <laughs> El Tom Perry, Uniman. Yeah, and you never would have guessed that he's 90. Uh, and his class is one of the most direct. Yeah, okay, let's, let's share direct, shall we? talk on marriage, I'm probably copying off and handing out in my office. It's going to be a fifth Sunday. Is it going to be a fifth Sunday? Just awesome. And, and what you heard over and over and over in his talk is that, that husbands and wives are equal in decision making and in responsibilities and everything over and over and over. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Brethren in Priesthood meeting got to hear him say that the image that he has of a uh, priesthood holder is that he's holding a bottle of consecrated oil in one hand and a loaf of bread in the other. That we're to be healers, but we're also to be feeding. Uh, beautiful little image. Okay, say it again a little louder. G. Smith finally passed away, yeah? Did he really? 
Oh yeah, most people did. <laughs> yeah, Elder G. Smith, and he's only the se- he was only the seventh patriarch in the church in church history. Oh, that's amazing. He died at 106. Yeah, direct descent of Byron. Yeah. Yes. Over and over and over. Yeah, I kind of drove drove that home. We're going to actually talk about obedience uh, today. That's going to be a critical thing. Okay. The first. Yeah, the first. I wondered how long it takes to pick that up. It seems like a very subtle kind of thing, but it's critical. I think, because there were actually, if you, there were two elements that, that came with that. The, the first women to pray in conference, okay? And secondly, the changes to the uh, administrative within missions, that there's going to be an administrative board administering missions, and it's going to be half elders and half sisters. Okay? That, that wasn't announced in conference, that was like the day before. Okay? So, you're seeing some changes. Some well, it was interesting that the Dallas Morning News pointed out that women are allowed to pray in the audience, but now find that they get to pray for the staff. Well, it's one of those things I know that you kind of go, but most of the time, when I posted it, after, right after it happened, and I, some of the comments would come back, it's like, I haven't noticed. I know, I didn't think about it, but it's just like, well, duh. It's about time. So I was, I was really glad to see that. I guess one of the things that I noticed at the conference was the, the continuing moving forward of the church into the world and, and it ever expanding. And it seemed like across all lot of talks, it was, it was, that was the case. And 35 countries and territories left. And well, you get that sense. And in fact, I figured that there's a, there's a moment in the presidency, first presidency meeting when they go, Okay, somebody's got to read in all of the, the new general authorities around the world. <coughs> President Uchtdorf, you're the only one that can pronounce all these things <laughs> and get it right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I will do it. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, anything else that jumped out at you? 25 Yeah, yeah, I remember listening uh, when I was young. Uh, went to a fireside with Jay Hicks and him talking about that experience of uh, that you only had, and I was the original Twitter, you know, what are you going to say to your family as they kind of get it out that you don't think will be heavily censored and all that getting out of Hanoi, the Hanoi Hilton um, so that uh, the, the small little letter that was going to go with only 25 words what would you put? I think that's, that's kind of talking about a fun family home evening you know, if you were somewhere, what would you say to your family in 25 words or less? Wow. And so that they would know that it's directly from you. Yeah. You know that something, whenever President Uchtdorf was reading off all those names, like we were talking about how hard they were... Ching chong wo. Let nobody laugh. What it reminded me of was when I was investigating the church back in 1971. I remember Bob showing me you know, the inside of the ensign, you know, where it has all the general authorities listed, and I'm like, wow, this looks like a wasp group to me, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, these are all American names, and you say that you're a worldwide church, and he very humbly said, well, we're small and we're growing in all these different countries, and because all the names were so, you know, American or, you know, mm-hmm. British or whatever, and I really, really remember that last, yesterday. That yeah, time. they're not, and <laughs> not we're not. Not, you're truly a worldwide church. Yes, we are. 
Okay, what, the seventh? Rio de Janeiro will be like the seventh temple in Brazil. And the uh, Cedar City Temple will be the 17th in Utah. We're just going to keep building them as long as, you know. All right. By the way, you know, I never did a couple weeks ago when we were talking in uh, section 121. It talks about the, the place of a temple is within a stake. Uh, well, how long would it take to turn a baptismal font into a place for baptism of the dead? I mean, we could, we could certainly do that if we wanted to in every state center. So. All right. So, we kind of got a little lift. We got our, kind of our biannual little bump. And, and, uh, and yet, here we are. We're ready to learn a little bit more. That says something kind of about who we are. Um, so, let's, uh, let's take a look at... Uh, I want you to notice that as we're looking at DNC 133 today, the Lord did something kind of interesting, and I don't know if we necessarily pay attention to it. When the Doctrine and Covenants were, was preparing, the Lord gave both a preface and an appendix. He gave them two days apart. Uh, with, and for a number of years all of the, the new commandments would be placed in between the preface and the appendix. It's only been uh, uh, in the last, uh, I can't remember when the change came, when they started putting some after section 133, but it was originally designed to be the appendix to the Doctrine and Covenants. So we kind of have bookend revelations, both provided by the Lord. Think of, I don't think, can't think of any other book that we have that, where the Lord writes the preface, and he writes the appendix. And in between is the commandments. Okay. So let's look for just a second. I want you to hop to uh, DNC 1. 11 through 19. You can see why it is that this was original preface. I realize it's been almost a year and a half since we studied this. Hearken all ye people of my church. The voice of the Lord is unto all men. The voice of warning shall be unto all these people. Uh, and you're going to find when we get into the language of 133, it's going to say a lot of the same things. You can see the mirror uh, image of this. One. And we're in the we're in the Lord's preface before we look at the uh, appendix. Okay. Voice of warning uh, shall be unto all people. Now remember, this is 1831. The church has only been organized a little over a year. They are now gathering at Kirtland, and and there's so much ahead of them that they don't know. This is mine authority and the authority of my servants and my preference unto the book of my commandments which I have given them to publish unto you, O inhabitants of the earth. Okay? He's identifying, this is my preface. And what's he, what is he going to say in a preface? Well, verse 8, uh, they that go forth... 
To them is given power to seal on earth and in heaven when the day of the Lord shall come. Uh, wherefore, the voice of the Lord is unto the ends of the earth and all that will hear. And then he's going to say, Prepare ye, prepare ye for that which is to come for the Lord is not. And every man waketh in his own way. And then here, here's the part that tells us what is the whole purpose of the Doctrine and Covenants. Thank you. Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the... What? Interesting word. Calamity. Calamity suggesting what? Yeah, confusion. Chaos. Destruction. I, I was uh, I was asked to uh, help a Mayamate class the other night with how to mark the scriptures. What I ended up doing is not so much teaching them how to mark the scriptures, but how to really study and understand the scriptures. And so we would take words and we just tear them apart. So we'd say, "What is the Lord trying to suggest to you with the words that He's using?" The Lord is the is a divine poet, and He chooses words very carefully to try and suggest to your mind the entire image that He wants you to gather as you, as you look at these scriptures. So He's saying, I, the Lord, knowing the calamity that shall come, the chaos, the destruction, all of that kind of stuff, He says, we shall come upon the inhabitants of the earth. I called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and so that all of these people can be ready for the calamities, I'm going to prepare them by giving them what? Commandments. Remember that the next time your teenagers are complaining about it. Just, this is like a church of rules. We have way too many rules. We're like, all the stuff we can't do, I can't do that. You know, I'm Mormon, I can't. I, the Lord, knowing the calamity that is coming... I spoke unto my servant, Joseph Smith Jr., from heaven and gave him commandments to help prepare this world, the, this inhabitants that are about to be washed over by all of this stuff, and to help prepare them, I will give them commandments. Why? Think about it, it talks about obedience and things this weekend. What is there about commandments? that would prepare us for calamity. Well, I don't think commandments is um, they are eternal laws and God has to obey these laws. So if we want to tell God about them, then we need to tell how to do it. So it's basically a how-to. A how-to to become like Him. Yeah, and He's going to... And how will that help us Prepare for that. That helps us get there. But how will that help us with the calamities that we're going to be living in? So there's going to be spiritual strength that comes from obedience, from living the commandments. Yeah. Oh, it's going to pull us up. Hold on to that one. Especially when we get to 133, because that's, that's what he's going to say in. In the Lord's appendix. Okay? Yeah. 
In, in other words, part of what he's saying to us by, by keeping the commandments, generally as soon as you as soon as you have accepted the gospel and you get it and you're keeping the commandments, what's the, what's your next step? Help. Serve. Rescue. Go get them. Tell, warn them. Prepare them. Go. Yeah, other than we don't just kind of sit in glory and kind of how much we know and, and where we are and I'm going to sit at home and just bask in my righteousness. <laughs> kind of enjoy that and be aware of just how righteous I am. <laughs> the Lord says, great, now you're ready. Now I can put you to work. I can put you to work blessing and serving and preparing and healing and feeding. Does that mean that you want to speak we might. Who knows? As opposed to sitting in our house basking in our glorious righteousness. Yeah? I like what President Watson wrote of all the Hebrews where he reminded us that that was the hallmark of Christ's life is that we are obedient. And we can be like him if we are Oh, isn't that true? And to be like him is to, is to once we obey, part of that obedience is to then go bless. To go serve. I practice of hearing the still small voice going to heat better. Ooh, yeah, isn't that true? In fact, hang on to that one. He talks about hearing the still small voice in the in the middle of the din of the, in the middle of the calamity. We're going to be able to know what to do and be able to hear that voice. I think that's true. Now we're going. To, I've got a quote that I'm going to quote to you in a few minutes from President Iron that says basically the same thing. Yeah. And what is going to happen today, how um, things are, that is what he's in Hang on to that one. We're going to come out of Babylon. That's going to be the theme in 133. Okay. So, isn't it? I, I just think it's beautiful. And again, this is, I pulled from the. Uh, the uh, 1928, one of those places I go to try and, and understand. The Lord was suggesting things to us, but He was also speaking to 19th century people. So I always go to the 1928 Webster's Dictionary if there's a word that I don't understand. That in Hebrew. 18, did I say 1928? Yeah. 1828. <laughs> Calamity, any great misfortune or cause of misery generally applied to events, disasters, which produce extensive evils, such as loss of crops, earthquakes, and conflagration. Conflagration. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it is applied to the misfortunes which bring distress upon individuals. Okay, so anyway, that is, remember, and then, then there is this, and I want you to be thinking about this one as we look at section 133. Who is going to be responsible to help the world prepare for the calamities to come? The weak. I'm not sure I can do this calling. I'm not sure I'm up to this. I'm not, I don't think I can. Yeah. He says, of course. Of course you can. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong one that man should not counsel his fellow man neither trust in the arm of flesh. 
And then he's going to say, Behold, I am God, and I have spoken it. And these commandments are of me, and they were given unto my servants in weakness. Think how big the church was. What was the, uh, according to the statistical report, what was our uh, official church population as of uh, yesterday? 14.7, right? 14,700,000. And we had uh, 275,000 convert baptisms last year. We're about to, we're sending out 65,000 missionaries. Another 20,000 to come probably by the end of the summer. How fast will it take us to get to 15 million? At this point in the church, there was probably maybe 1,500. You could double, maybe they go quickly. But I, the Lord, have spoken. These commandments were given unto my servants in their weakness, after the manner of their language, that they might come to understanding. Okay, so so he got it set up, and then two days later, so this is November 1st, 1831. Two days later, then, he will then provide his appendix so that they can then take it off to Kirk, off to uh, Zion and to the printing press where it can then be printed into the Book of Commandments, which, remember, was almost ready when the mobs hit in 1833. Okay? So let's cross over now uh, to the other end of the book end. Hearken, O ye people of my church, saith the Lord, the Lord who shall suddenly come to his temple, the Lord who shall come down upon the world with a curse to judgment, upon the nations that forget God, and upon all the ungodly among you. Four, prepare ye, prepare ye, O my people. Now, here comes the command coming to these people. Now, remember at this point, some are being called to go to Zion in Missouri. But we, this is where, for us, I think this becomes really critical. This is a cry to us. It really is. Wherefore, prepare ye, O, sanctify yourselves. Gather ye together, O ye people of my church. Did we gather yesterday? Isn't that cool? We didn't, there's no way we can all make it to Salt Lake. But we all gathered. And we gathered in a variety of places and ways. And <clears throat> uh, O ye people of my church upon the land of Zion, all ye that have not been commanded to tarry, some were supposed to stay in Kirtland, go ye out of Babylon, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Call your solemn assemblies. I love the Look at verse 8. Send forth the elders of my church unto where? Nations. Unto the islands. Send them into foreign lands. Call upon all nations. First upon the Gentiles and then upon the Jews. Okay. Now. Remember when we talked about. Again. The Lord is going to. When he, when he paints a picture. He's not just going to use words like calamity, but he's also going to reference things that he's talked about before. He goes back to parables and stories and experiences. And you have to go back, and I would really recommend in your your gospel study, in your gospel scholarship, 
When these images come up, when these references come back, go back to the original stuff so that you can put it in context. And then you'll understand why the Lord is using particular parables, particular stories, particularly events from the lives of the prophets to teach a particular uh, lesson. And listen to the one he's going to use here. Yea, let the cry go forth among all people. Awake and arise and go forth to meet the bridegroom. Behold and lo, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. What's he accessing? Accessing? Ex yeah, accessing. The, the parable of ten virgins. So let's take a look at that for a second. Matthew 25. This is one we know quite a bit, right? Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins which brought their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five wise, five foolish. Uh, foolish took their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered. Verse 6. And at when? Midnight... Has he come yet? No. At midnight the cry goes out. He's coming in the morning, right? So there, and, and traditionally, remember the idea was is that there would be a a uh, the the uh, bride the bridegroom would get together with his friends and they would kind of have a party. The the wed the wedding uh, party is waiting there. They're ready to go, but he has a party, and then they leave the they leave. The, kind of the, the bridegroom party, and they begin to gather, and they will go to house to house to house, and they gather more and more people, and more and more people, and they're getting family and friends, and, and it's like a snowball rolling down the hill. As they, they're coming, they're coming, and the noise begins to become apparent. The bridegroom is coming closer and closer to the place of the wedding feast. And so then, and so those that are going to be the, those that are in charge of the lamps, the, the ten virgins whose light has to shine on those that have been gathered, they're waiting. And they're slumbering because we don't know because there's no set time. This, this thing, could, this rolling could take a long time. They're having a good time. This is a celebration and we want to get all of our friends and gathering everybody together. So we're going to go around to every house. We're going to, here they come. So it's building and building and building. And kind of this cacophony is coming of the, of the bridal, uh, of the bridegroom procession is coming towards them and they can start to hear it. And the cry goes out. He's coming. He's not here yet. But that means that the, that the wedding feast will be soon. We don't know exactly when, but get ready. Now, at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Now, let's go back to section 133. Verse 10, Let the cry go out among all people, Awake and arise and go forth to meet the bridegroom. The bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. What time is it? It's midnight. November 1831. It's midnight. 
The cry is going out, and not just symbolically, but literally, this parable began to be uh, fulfilled in November 1831. It is midnight. And if it was midnight then, whoa. Okay. There was a cry made, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. All the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Okay, now, the trimming of a lamp requires, there's two, there's two pieces to this, right? What does it mean to trim a lamp? You got to cut back what? The wick. In other words, the, where it's been burning before, it's got kind of a black stubble all over it. And so you've got to go through and trim that down. It's almost like trimming, uh, like trimming your toenails. You're just going to cut off all of the, that part and you can remove all of the, the burnt part of that so that now it's ready. So that, And if you don't do that, why do you have to trim it? You don't get a pretty light. You don't get the light. Because that's right. You don't, you're not going to get all that spark. Or you might get it just a little bit. In other words, if you need to let your light so shine... The first thing you've got to do is trim the lamp. Okay? Meaning what? Clean up your act. What things do we need to trim? All of those bad habits. We need to obey. We need to, we need to look at our life and clean out all of those things that block our light from such and from so shining. Does that make sense? How quickly can we do that? Pretty quickly. You can trim. Even those that were slumbering weren't able to then get up and like, oh, the bridegroom's coming, and trim. And then they can immediately start to clip and cut and, and kind of get their lives, lives ready. That can be done relatively fast. But there's a second part. Because remember, even the slumbering were able to trim their lamps. The second part, though, is now it's time to turn on the lamp. And, then, and to do that, I've got to draw on the oil. Oh, here's the problem. They go to draw on their oil, and what has happened to those that were slumbering? While they were slumbering, they... they they did. Uh, the, the, the foolish. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They all slumbered. Thank you. That's right. The difference... We can't stay with 24-7. No, you can't. You've got to go to sleep sometime. But you can actually sleep pretty well knowing that you've got oil in your lamp. Yes. 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 It does. Exactly right. Elder Bednar talked about the fact that we actually drawing from Chris Kimball, who had also given a talk on the fact that draw by draw by draw by draw are our, uh, our weekly service, our attendance at church, 
all the things that we do adds another little drop to that to that oil to the uh, lamp. And so those that were wise had continued to stay with it, had stayed obedient, had, had filled their lamp. Then they were able, to, when, it, when the bride would come, I could trim, I could clear out the things that I still need to be able to trim, and now I have oil in my vessel ready to go. What about the foolish? They can quickly trim. What, can, what don't they have access to? The oil. There's the difference. Because sometimes we can talk about the fact that uh, in, the, in, the, in the vineyard, those that have come early to the vineyard and have been working in the vineyard are given the same reward as those who come late. But there is a consequence to those who come late. And that is, what are they missing? The day by day, week by week, service by service of the drops be slowly filling your vessel with oil. There's a reason why in all the time, every month, we've got to go out and do home teaching and visiting teaching and fulfill your calling in that primary class where nobody has a clue what kind of good lesson you did. And you're doing the, all of the things that you do and it just seems to be inconsequential. What are you doing? Filling your lamp. The wise do that. The foolish are like that. You know, when he comes, I'll be able to borrow it somewhere. I'll be able to... Because in their mind, they knew. How long does it take to trim a lap? Not very... I can... I can... Ooh, he's coming. So I'll start going to church. Oh, I can... I can start paying my tithing. Oh, I can... You know, I can clean my life up. I can do that like in two weeks. But what's missing? The distilling of that oil of weekly, daily, yearly obedience. They can sleep calmly knowing that, that, that that's ready to go. Because there is a certain amount of anxiety that would come to the foolish. Especially when that moment is like, oh wait a minute, I should be able to borrow this from somebody. And it's like, not so, we can't. There's no way, there's no way that I can do this. There's no way to transfer this kind of oil.
in the gospel, they shine amazingly bright in our lives. Does that make sense? I think that's, that's so true. Uh, and that so many times, you ever been like a dry Mormon? You know, just that water, they just need that last little piece. Because they have a lot, they're good people. And they are ready to go. And they have been, and they love the Lord, and they love to serve, and all that kind of stuff. And all you do is plug them in. And they just jump right in, and away they go. Okay? Um... Present irony. So, the great test of life is to see whether we will hearken to and obey God's commandments in the midst of the storm of life. It is not to endure storms, but to choose the right while they rage. This is, this is really, really profound if you think about this. And the tragedy of life is to fail in that test and so, qual so qualify to return in glory to our heavenly home. Why do we have tests? Why do we have trials? Why do we have tribulations? To prove to our selves what? That we can keep on keeping on, right? Remember, we, we have this, and it's, it's a very human tendency to want to say when I have trial if I can have if I can put some meaning on this trial then it's easier to bear okay God's trying to teach me something if I can figure out what he's trying to teach me it'll uh, I can get out of the trial I will have learned it so the reason I went through this is so that I would learn X so often brothers and sisters the reason we have trials is because we live in the world. And the great test of life is to see if we will just keep on filling our lamp, which is easy to do when there's no trials. Will we keep on filling our lamp even when there are trials? In spite of the trials, we'll still keep showing up. We'll still serve you. We'll still we keep hanging in there. That's what it's trying to say. It's just about obedience. Does that make sense? All right. Let's see. Oh, we'll go back to... All right. Let's see. I think I've got one more over here. Oops. Oh, yeah. This is what I like. I'll blame uh, Shannon Causey for this one. In a quiet moment with his secretary and two others, someone asked President Young, why is it that the Lord is not always at our side, prompting universal happiness and seeing to it that the needs of his people are met, especially for his saints? Why is it so difficult at times? Dang it, we're such good people. You know, we're just trying to do the good stuff and the right stuff and we're doing all this humanitarian aid and, you know, and I serve in my callings and I... You know, read the scriptures with my kids and, 
you know, when I did visit, teach that up, not just sister, but did it anyway with a smile on my face. I'm one of the good people. How come? How come? How come? You start wondering after a while, don't you? You, you wonder about that. Uh, you were at the funeral on Friday. Tell me about the funeral for Brother Durrance. Teacher. Dies at, what, 45, 46, heart attack? What was that like? It was uh, very interesting to see all the young people that came. People that, he only been a teacher for a short time. But you could tell he had deeply impacted those kids. They, they, they just came in droves to really honor the difference that he made in their lives because he cared. Yeah. Went to the viewing on Thursday night and, and kid after kid, just tears streaming down their face. Here, here's this teacher that had made a, a difference for them, and it was a tragic loss, but they realized what a good man he was, and they came, and the, and the, and the funeral was incredible in terms of the lessons that were taught. Who got, so all these kids got to be in a sacred place and hear these incredible things. What, and he just kept on. Kept on keeping on. A lot of times the revelations come when in the midst of our trials. It's like that, that, those are the chances that he has to teach us. And so we do gain lessons. We do learn things about ourselves and about other things and about the gospel. But again, part of what he's saying is sometimes it's just can you hang on in a storm? Will you, will you, do, will you remain obedient? President Young answered, Because man is destined to be a god, and he must be able to demonstrate that he is for God, and to develop his own resources so that he can act independently and yet humbly. And then he added, It is the way it is because we must learn to be righteous in the dark. We must learn to be righteous in the dark when nobody else can see. And then he went on to say, and that proves that we are a friend to God.
I got it. <laughs> I go on automatic pilot and get it done. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So now let's get. There's two last lessons that I think are in section 133. Let's look first at 57 and 58. What did we learn? What did we learn in in section 1? The purpose of the commandments were to... I will give... I spoke to my prophet Joseph Smith out of heaven and gave him commandments to do what? Prepare the world for the calamity that's going to come. Okay? This is going to help get them ready. Okay? 57. For this cause that men and women might be partakers of the glories which were to be revealed. Now remember, this is, this is a few years before section 76. So they don't even know the glories yet. The partakers of the glories which were to be revealed, the Lord sent forth the fullness of the gospel, His everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity, Now, to do a very specific thing. I'm going to give you as a church the commandments and I'm going to give it to those that are weak. Why? To prepare them. To prepare the weak for those things which are coming. For the Lord's errand in that day when the weak shall do some interesting things. Confound the wise, right? The little one become a strong nation and two shall put their tens of thousands to flight. Then he's going to use a fascinating word here. uh, By the weak things of the earth, the Lord shall thrash the nations by the power of His Spirit and for this cause the commandments were given. Well, that's kind of that if, if you're reading the scripture, you come across the word thrash, your flag ought to go up. It's an unusual word. It paints a picture. You know, if you're going to teach this lesson in, in a classroom full of like 11-year-old boys, it's like the weak things of the world are going to thrash the nations. What are they going to be thinking? Oh, this is like the Avengers. We're just going to smash and punch. And <laughs> How great is that? Yeah, I want to thrash. So that means that like, when kids at school are being mean and stuff, I, think I get to thrash them. Yeah. What does he mean by thrash? Sift. Why? Where are you getting that from? Thrashing is... Where do you use that? That's right. And we feel and in the granary, and we're going to bring it in, and we're going to put it onto the threshing floor. And on the threshing floor, we're going to thrash, which means we're going to sift, separate the wheat and the tares. Reminder, by the way, where was the Temple of Solomon built? On an original threshing floor. That spot 
that David chose to put the temple on was a threshing floor. It had been a place of sifting. Temples tend to You will. Th How are you going to thrash the nations? Punch them out. Missionary work. How does missionary work thrash the nations? Bring out righteous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Notice it says the by the power of His Spirit. Yes. There is a sifting process by which missionaries go out, and in a sense. The people of the earth kind of thrash themselves, don't they? Those that will listen and those that won't. Those that are going to respond and those that are going to heckle and those that are going to fight. That's that, that threshing process. Yeah. I think it could. I think it's also it's also a reference to a specific moment in time, is it not? What, what two are we talking about? In, in fifty-eight, and two shall put the tens of thousands to flight. No, in Jerusalem. Yeah, the two the two prophets that will come, and they will hold by by miracles. They will hold the armies at bay that are besieging Jerusalem and they will do it, do it for uh, two and a half years and then they will be killed and lie in the streets for three days. Yeah. Yeah. Take on everybody. There's only five of us. Yeah. Do you guys want to 
chili. Okay, so now let's talk about ultimately then how this threshing is going to work. And what does all of this mean to us? There's the, there's the uh, David and Goliath. Okay, now let's... let's go back to section uh, to 133 and look at verse 15 because now we're going to be given a specific command alright so what time is it? midnight okay uh, the Savior's coming tomorrow now we have a specific job then we have to rise, go forth to meet the bridegroom. Uh, prepare yourself for the great day. The party's coming. The wedding feast is going to occur. It's going to occur where? Adam on Diamond. Watch therefore, for ye know not the day nor the hour. We just know the season. Here it comes. Let them wherefore among the Gentiles flee to Jerusalem, and those of Judah flee into Jerusalem. Go ye out among the nations, even from Babylon, from the midst of wickedness. Verse 14. Now, verse 15. And here comes the directions to the weak of the world, or to the weak of His saints. That's us. Verily, saith the Lord, let not your flight be in haste, but let all things be prepared before you, and he that cometh, do what? Do not look back. Here's the reference. What's he re- referencing? That's right. Sister Lot. Okay, so, so if we're going to understand the reference and the context, we need to check the original, right? So let's hop over there. Genesis 19. Backing up. Remember things are getting bad. There's a mob at the door. They're trying to attack. Lot went out. They're in Sodom and Gomorrah. Spake unto his sons in law that married his daughters and said, Get you out of this place. The Lord will destroy. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in law. He had family in Sodom and Gomorrah. His daughters had married uh, members of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, they weren't leaving. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two unmarried daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, he was... Stalling a little bit. Now, I want to give he, he and Sister Lot a little uh, mercy here because they've got family and probably grandkids, right? 
They lingered. Listen to what the angels will do here. The man, the angels, laid, upon, laid hold upon his hand and the hand of his wife and upon the hand of the two daughters and the Lord being merciful unto him and brought him forth and set him without the city. How do you do that in the midst of a mob? Maybe camouflage. Maybe, yeah, four to beam up. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to, huh? It could have been the invisibility cloak. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Smith described an experience where the the, uh, the members of the mob were coming to get him, and they, he walked right by him, and they didn't recognize him. Well, and even the Savior is beset uh, by a mob, and he just in his hometown in Nazareth. They're ready to throw him off the rock quarry. Nazareth sat on a rock quarry. They're ready to throw him off because he had said to them in the synagogue, he read them a messianic verse, and then he said. Today is fulfilled in your eyes. And it's me. And they're going to throw him off and it's somehow he walks through the middle of them. I suspect there's something like that here. Picture the mercy that is going on right at this moment when there's a mob here. This city needs to be saved. And, what, and, and the angels are going to take them by the hand and get them out. Tell me that isn't a... a um, that uh, this is the, the atonement and grace personified. That he literally takes us by the hand, think about the temple, takes us by the hand and gets us out of Babylon and into his presence. That's what this is. He took them by the hand and saved them. And brought them forth and set them without the city. That's amazing. Now, it came to pass that when he brought them forth, he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither, neither stay on the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest be consumed. But what would happen to do? We're told not to look. Well, yeah, it's still, it's still hard. Okay, now. Yes. Does that make some sense? I still have family back there. Lot says, Not so, my Lord, if those found grace. Um, he not, he's not ready to go completely to the mountain. He's kind of about halfway there. There's a city close by. Uh, and I want to go there. He's going to go to the town of Zoar. And, and that town, by the way, still exists. That There's a spot where, where it exists, right at the bottom of the, of the Dead Sea. Okay? And the sun had risen up when Lot entered into Zoar. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I want there's a there, the word looked is used twice here. 
Verse 26, wife looked. Uh, verse 27, Abraham got up. Sometimes I get up, I guess. <laughs> 28, and he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he saw the smoke as the smoke of a furnace. Okay? Those two words are not the same. Those are two different Hebrew words. They've both been translated look. Look, in the case of Abraham, means to glance and to see. Look, in the case of Sister Lot, and his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. It means to linger, to be transfixed, to long for. Now, she had walked out of Babylon literally, but she had not yet walked out of Babylon emotionally and in her heart. Now, there's some suggestion maybe that she went back. There's a possibility of that. But at the very least, she was her heart was still there. Now, I get with the family. But also, she's longing for what's in Babylon. And when the Lord is saying to us, come out of Babylon, what's He saying? First of all, we generally have to come physically, right? We come out of Babylon, get baptized, get into the church, we're here physically. But how many times are there new converts or somebody who are still longing for Babylon? Yearning for Babylon. It still looks better. How many kids have we got on a Saturday morning or on a weekday morning that their physical bodies are in seminary and their hearts are yearning for Babylon? Well, I don't think it's just the kids. I think we do the same thing. We do. We do. And we linger. We look back towards the plane and we wish we were there. Yeah, there's a whole other layer here about what happens when your family is still there in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that, does that maybe prevent you from moving forward in the things that you're doing? Because obviously and naturally your heart is still with them, but maybe that holds you in a place where you need not to be and it, and it prevents you from moving forward in a way. We love them, we care about them, but we got to move forward. Especially like those in England and stuff, and Denmark and all that, who were saying, we're going to get on a boat and all, all chances we'll never see you again. Uh, I'm going to have to leave that behind. You can, you can picture them standing on the, on the boat in Liverpool as the boat is pulling away and they're looking at their homeland and their family. Maybe some came down to the dock to wave goodbye. Yeah. As we go through life, we have events Clean our wick off. Yeah. You know, we just we just try to get a little better and do better. But eventually, everybody's going to have an absolute, which is what this is. 
It is. And in fact, the Savior, the Savior is going to use this. Um, you can hop to, to Luke 17 if you want, but uh, I got it right here. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. At midnight, while we're waiting, and here comes, here comes the cry, come out of Babylon. While we're doing that, some of the people that we care about, and certainly the world, is around us. They did eat and drank and married wives and were given in marriage until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them. I mean, they may have been in the middle of a, of a wedding ceremony when it started to rain. They were in the middle. They were halfway through building their house when it started to rain. They were still. It looked like life was going on. And he says, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. This is Luke 17. This is the Savior. So in other words, it looked like life was continuing on. They were having a pretty good time. Thus, at 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Let, let him not come down to take it away, and he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife.
It's, it's funny, by the way, do you know that if you go down near the Dead Sea, on the, uh, on the hill above the plain, there is a pillar of salt? I don't think I got a... Did I get a picture of that? Um, oh, that, that's the one I decided to use. That's, that's Sister Love. I don't know. I've never, I've never found any... I was wondering the same thing. Uh, and trying to see if there was some significance to that. I don't know if anybody has any other ideas about that. Well, that there still is mercy in this because salt can be dissolved because spelling is not it's an interesting thought. Do you think that what, because by the way, do you think that what she did condemned her eternally? No. 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 Sure does, doesn't it? At least in this life, she had lost the life that she was looking for. I wondered about that one a little bit. You know, I'm debating whether I should share this experience. When we were at the Dead Sea, you know, people go to the Dead Sea and they like to float in the water because it's so full of salt that you can really stay up. It's very buoyant. So my husband and I went down there, and the day that we were there, it was kind of windy, and I just couldn't take it for very long. And so when I got up out of the water, Bob was still in the water, and I turned around to look at him, and it was very windy, and there was so much salt in the air, it just stung my eyes so bad I couldn't hardly see and I just ran for the you know the little shower things that they have there on the beach to just wash my eyes out because I, it was so symbolic to me I couldn't help but think of why you know? <laughs> there was so much salt in the air that my, I've never had my eyes burn that bad wow wow that's cool <laughs> okay so, so in other words listen to the symbolism that the Lord is putting on his appendix that says I need you as Latter-day Saints to come out of Babylon. And I need you to come out physically, and I need you to come out emotionally, and I need you to come out spiritually. And that's going to and that's gonna look like a weak thing in the eyes of many people. But I'm going to lift you up and turn you into everything that I have you that I have for you to do. That's that's the challenge. Now And he that goeth, let him not look back. Back to section 133. Let him not look back, lest sudden destruction shall come upon him. Hearken and hear, O ye inhabitants of the earth. Listen, ye elders of my church, together, and hear the voice of the Lord. For he calleth upon all men, and he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And, and so then we get, and then we're going to get all of this wonderful imagery about the coming of the Savior, all the way coming down through all of section 133, uh, 37. This gospel shall be preached uh, in every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Uh, and the servants of the God shall go forth saying in a loud voice. Think about what happens when we hit about... Uh, we're going to hit, probably by this fall, 85,000 missionaries. Wow. What an army. We've never had an army this big. I remember clearly when I was in high school, President Kimball saying, we'd like to have 30,000 missionaries. And I think we were about 17,000 at that point. 
The gospel shall be preached unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And the servants of God shall go forward saying, Fear God, give glory to Him. The hour of His judgment is come. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I think as we look at this, uh, you look at this little, kind of this little rock that's starting to roll down the mountain without pans, and you see it kind of building some momentum here. Uh, I think about where the saints were as we, as we go into next week and we talk about uh, the martyrdom. And that there was a belief at that point that if we could just kill Joseph, we can knock off this, this silly cult and that they will go away. In fact, there was a... Uh, the uh, New York Times printed a... Their headline, when they found out that Joseph Smith had been killed, the headline read, Thus Endeth Mormonism. Thus Endeth Mormonism. And yet the Savior in 1831 was saying, you guys, and Joseph was trying to say to the brethren, you have no conception of where this church is going. You know, it will fill North and South America, it will fill the entire well, the Savior was trying to prepare them at the time they felt so weak and insignificant. Well, I believe a lot of times that we feel that way in our own callings, in our own responsibilities, in the, own, the things that we're asked to do. We feel weak and insignificant. And he says, I will take the weak things, and if you will come out of Babylon, I promise you, you will lose your life. And it won't be the life that you thought. You're going to lose the life you thought you were going to have. But I have a greater life for you. I have a greater thing to prepare. You just have no conception. Well, brother and sister, it's midnight. The cry is now going out, and and as the uh, as the wise virgins, we're we're trying to fill our flat. Now we need to trim them from time to time, but we're trying to fill our lap with that, and to be prepared for everything that the Lord has in mind. I buried my testimony that these commandments. With the Lord's preface and the Lord's appendix are everything that's designed inside there to help us take this gospel forward. And I pray that we can do that with the Spirit from this weekend. In the name of Jesus Christ. Have a spectacular week.